We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Johnson driving, Hayes is there, pocket pass, Bridges puts it down! 15 points for Mikael Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. He is absolutely putting on the show here in this third quarter. the timeline of phoenix suns podcast my name is mike sam Whew. how you doing <laughs> they're back they're back they're, they're some back. will say yes some will yes. say y'all should have never doubted and i understand that perspective and to to an extent i didn't <laughs> i didn't doubt their capacity to play like this when they're at their best but we were all a little bit nervous. We were all sweating a little bit okay. coming into this. And and here's what it really was, Mike, before we get into the main story of, of the day, the main story of the game here, which is obvious, the main player. Um, it, it wasn't so much even how the Suns lost last time, which was a little bit demoralizing, a 15-point loss in Game 4, but it was just that Chris Paul looming question of health coming into this game, right? Yeah. That was the concern. They answered. And that's, yes. They made so many adjustments. They, oh, really? They did, yes. They they made so many adjustments. We have so much to talk about in this one. They, they yeah. made so many adjustments. They answered so many questions. But right. let's begin with the man of the fucking hour, Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. The Mikhail Bridges game. I was tempted to just start recording and then just say Mikhail Bridges over and over and over again. <laughs> And then upload that. People <laughs> as would have listened to it. Episode. They oh yeah, loved it. it. In fact, it may have may have uh, like topped out as our most listened to podcast <laughs> of all time. <laughs> because who cares about the rest of the stuff we say? But I almost feel like Reggie Miller, in particular, spent so much time talking about Alvarado that the average person watching this game may not have even realized just how spectacular what Mikael Bridges did in this game was because look the scoring is obvious and of course they talked about the scoring but guarding the two best players on the court the entire game he you know he was essentially on CJ to start the game as soon as CJ went out Mikael Bridges never went out so he switched to guarding Ingram and he did an excellent job on Ingram he had multiple yeah I think it ended with four blocks two steals and shut down 
each of those guys, essentially every single time, I can't remember a single time they scored on him. Basically every single time he was guarding them. Could check the uh, tracking data tomorrow. The four blocks definitely helps, though, to, to the point that you were making about Reggie and maybe like catering the narrative towards the casuals. The fact that you got those kind of slightly more eye-popping highlights, like you could visually see his length bother and disrupt those shots and he was disrupting them all night but like to actually see him rack up a few blocks in the stat sheet it helps we know that sort of stuff helps narratives it's it's just amazing to see him succeed like this and at home right in front of the home crowd which is especially fun for you know the viewing experience so you hear the crowd but the people that are there got to see it i mean the best game of his career in a high leverage moment, tied 2-2, we all know the statistics, they're very high. The team that wins in game five in a, in a series that's tied 2-2, most of the time goes on to win the series. So for Mikael Bridges to have that kind of game in this scenario, it's just beautiful. He's just one of the most likable guys on the team, in the NBA, in my opinion. And to see him succeed like this is, is just great. It, you know, it's funny too, because often the best defenders or the guys that get a ton of credit for their defense in the playoffs are irritants who do almost nothing else but irritate people. <laughs> you know, the Patrick Beverly's, the Jose Alvarado's, guys like that who literally their job, even Jay Crowder to some extent who does play good defense, but they get so much attention because of the storylines that they generate from the annoying things that they do. Mikel Bridges doesn't get on people's nerves in the sense that he's doing some extra pushing or shoving or tripping guys in inappropriate ways. You know, the kinds of things that guys do. Mm-hmm. He just plays solid defense over and over and over and over and over and over again and just wears them down to the end of the game where they're struggling to get shots over him and they're short. It's And it's just amazing to see it. And maybe that's why it's harder for people to recognize just how good he's doing. Well, and he's also, he's not a loudmouth. He doesn't force himself into right. the conversation to the you know same why? extent. What, he's what? good at other stuff. Well, <laughs> he's not just good at that, you know, like Alvarado. Okay, okay. There are irritants historically in the NBA who I think you could say, you know, they're primarily known as defensive irritants, but but they're good at other stuff. But specifically yeah. in the case of a guy like Pat Bev, you know, there's a clear distinction between what Mikhail Bridges does, which is just puts his head down and goes to fucking work. Versus yeah. Pat Bev, who always wants to make it very clear that he's the loudest person on the court at any <laughs> given time, no matter what impact he's having on the court. Right. Um, now, to that point, though, this was maybe the most animated I've seen Mikhail Bridges right. ever in a game. Right. Like, he was talking shit today after yeah. after buckets, after he was cutting to the basket, beating them off the dribble, whatever, hit, making his threes. He was talking shit. And he doesn't usually do that, so that's kind of an indication also, A, just how badly the Suns wanted this game. Duh. Yeah. It was it was yeah. pretty much a must-win. But B, they're matching the Pelicans' energy because the Pelicans' players have been talking shit in this series. Pelicans' fans have been going crazy in this series <laughs> now that they, you know, obviously, rightfully so, they think they have a, a, a legitimate chance in the series, which they do. So they've started talking all sorts of crazy shit, and the Suns are matching that. They're really matching mm-hmm. that with an energy, Finally. Not, just, not just from the usual suspects. I mean, you expect Jay Crowder to talk shit. Uh, you expect Chris Paul to be a maniac. Mm. Campaign, too, likes <laughs> to talk. Yeah, you don't necessarily expect it from Mikhail Bridges. And by the way, just pulling up his page now, Mikhail Bridges, we know as an Ironman, we all think of him as an Ironman, the guy who's not missed a game his entire NBA career to this point. In last year's entire finals run, 
Do you want to guess the most amount of minutes that Mikael Bridges logged in any playoff game last year? Mm, what is it? It's 40. <laughs> he played 40 minutes in one game against, actually, the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. He never logged 40 minutes. And this is a guy who, you know, people who watch the Suns all the time, which most people listen to this podcast, obviously, yeah. know that Mikael Bridges logs more minutes than anyone else on the Suns. At least that's the way it's been this year. Last year yeah. in the playoffs, he did... He did not reach 40 minutes once, even in the finals in the do-or-die games against Milwaukee because the Suns were still running their kind of more versatile, deep wing rotation where Torrey Craig was getting minutes, Jay Crowder got minutes, Cam Johnson got minutes, and McHale simply did not have the opportunity to do that. Tonight, he plays 47 minutes. By 47 far, minutes. a career high. Guarding two completely different versatile scorers who do different things on the floor, and then still at the end of the game, when there are breakaway plays, is able to throw down dunks, back-to-back dunks to close out the game. I mean, this dude's conditioning, the shape that he's in, and his ability to fight through being tired. I've never seen him look tired. Like, he just doesn't look tired, and he plays an insane amount of minutes, essentially the most of any real players in the NBA. Basically, that's what he's done. He's one of five players to play every single game in the NBA this season, and he played the most minutes of those five players. It's just a remarkable thing to see him do the things that he does over and over and over again. And 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 now on the other end of that, because I'm focusing on defense because I just think I said it online, I think this was the best defensive performance by a Suns player that I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't think that anything comes close. It's I, hard to I even I can't think of an obvious counterpoint for you. I can't. Yeah. And on the other end of that, he had 31 points on 17 shots, went I mean, four for four from the three-point line, and was plus 13 overall. I mean, offensively, he had an amazing game as well. Sean Marion may have had... Uh, you would have to really go back and watch the tape yeah. into the backlog. Sean Marion may have had some performances where he saved that team's ass defensively. And this team is so much more solid around it. Like, Mikhail is great. Right. DeAndre Ayton was also fantastic. I mean, everyone was Amazing. good. Everyone was good uh, but, defensively uh, tonight. Ayton was fantastic But specifically well. those two guys, yeah. really. No, for uh, sure. Because, you know, Mikhail Bridges was doing it all chasing guys around. Every single time somebody got into the paint, there was a monster in DeAndre Ayton meeting them there. You know, he got a few fouls out of that, but that does not matter because more Three. often than not, he was contesting shots at the Three rim. fouls in 35 minutes. He's so good still at picking his spots. I mean, that's that's nothing for a starting center. That's great. And this is what I was talking about earlier, by the way. It's nice to see Mikhail actually get his hand on the ball, rack up those four blocks, because if you just look at the box score, DeAndre Ayton didn't have any steals. He didn't have any blocks, and he played 35 yeah. minutes. But if you just go back and watch right. every single rim contest from DeAndre Ayton tonight, not to mention the post-up defense on Valanciunas, which has been a given all series long. He always makes it difficult. Yeah. Not to say yeah. that Jonas misses all of those shots, but he makes it difficult. Uh, he was he was terrific, even if he didn't like officially record a block or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stats are broken, but the diff, I mean, just even looking at the difference between JaVale guarding Jonas and DeAndre and guarding Jonas, there's like this obvious eye test thing that happens where you could just see, uh, Jonas kind of kills JaVale and you know, the, the double big lineups, which, which debuted today in the game that we just saw actually went pretty well. In fact, I would say that, uh, it was at least in the first half, one of the better stretches of the game in the second half, maybe not quite as good but I wouldn't say that there was a reason to think that they wouldn't do that 
in the next game. I, I guess we can transition over into Let's talk some about adjustments, adjustments that we saw. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was probably that's the most. I think the most obvious adjustments to to most people who watch the game are the personnel ones, right? Because it's just all of a sudden well, there's, a different, there's a different player in the game, and right, that's yeah, obvious it's, to everyone. It's right in your face, yeah, for sure. For sure. So that's and the some, first one I saw. Some of those were situational, so we'll talk about the other ones that were kind of, you know, there was a lot of foul trouble tonight, so I think that affected mm-hmm. the rotations for sure. But yeah. the the adjustment that I think has the most staying power here that I now expect to see throughout the series is we both got a stint of, uh, or we got both a stint of Aiton with JaVale in the first quarter, late first quarter, I want to say that was, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe um, early second, too. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then obviously Aiton stayed on the floor longer than usual, which forced Biombo into the rotation where he wouldn't typically be. And then in the uh, third quarter, that's where we got the second two-man big lineup stint, uh, that time of JaVale and Biombo. And, yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought the offense looked stilted like i expected it would be yeah. you know it, it wasn't an obvious like they didn't go out there and crush them this wasn't some brand new death lineup but they did what they set out to accomplish uh which was really bring a new physicality to the game and i thought you know they succeeded in that the, the defense absolutely held up during those minutes um, well, and and the biggest thing that i was stressing before the game is that prior to bringing an extra big in there the sun's strategy when javel was in the game is he just played this deep drop coverage because he's not the sort of versatile type of big that deandre ayton is where he can play all sorts of different schemes more on that in a couple minutes i think but um they were getting killed they were getting killed over and over and over again because brandon ingram would use screens and he would get into that drop and there would be a trailing defender who couldn't get back in time and he would kill us cj was killing him too with uh, to an extent with pull-up threes so they needed mm-hmm. an adjustment to that um, you know, I think we debated at the end of last game that if they're hemorrhaging rebounds this badly, they could just go smaller. And I still don't necessarily think, you know, that would have been the wrong idea either. Like they could have just brought a small ball five out there and switched everything, but they ended up going big instead. And it worked tonight. You can't argue with the results. I don't think. Yeah. Well, I actually think the like small ball lineups work better when Devin Booker is basically the point guard, right? You have a six six guy in there instead of a six foot Chris Paul in, which makes it a little bit right harder. And but I think one of the things that we lamented at the end of the last game was the Tory Craig minutes, and we talked about how he was mm-hmm. just getting killed out there. And one of the things that happened in this game when they went to the double big lineups wasn't just the fact that they had two bigs in there; they also completely eliminated the Tory Craig minutes that were bad. And, you know, yep. sometimes it is an addition by subtraction because you're taking out a guy that was killing you and putting a guy in maybe beyond both sort of, you know, he's even for the game when he in his minutes played. Maybe he treaded water a little bit. Maybe he wasn't like a major positive, but he also wasn't a major negative. And I think being able to be at least someone who could tread water a little bit outside of Craig, who was getting killed helps and I think Biombo you talked about JaVale sitting way back in the drop which is all he can do really I think we know that at this point whereas Biombo was up you know he even forced a turnover by uh, and trapping uh, on the sidelines yes. I was gonna say not just up because Biombo first of all you can start at, you know the Suns principally build their defense around this drop coverage it's the way they've played it all year when Biombo's in the drop he's already a step uh higher than JaVale is a step or two yeah. higher he's playing much yeah. closer to the level but then you toss in all the other stuff that he did um he hedged CJ uh, a couple of times so that CJ couldn't turn the corner and get around him and then like you said he outright blitzed uh, a couple of times as well and mm-hmm. that's what DeAndre Devante was doing Graham. as well yeah 
Yeah, with Devontae Graham. And 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 that's what DeAndre was doing all night as well. He was doing a phenomenal job of yeah. picking spots between oh, trapping, trapping yeah. blitzing, hedging. I, I, I mean, I think we saw everything uh, from the Suns tonight, except maybe a zone. I don't remember them ever going to a zone. But they basically forced, and this is exactly what you want to do in a playoff setting where you see the other team so many times in a in a short time span, is never allow their best offensive initiators to gain a level of comfortability with what your defense is doing. And, um, you know, I think CJ and Ingram both saw the number of different schemes that the Suns were deploying tonight, plus the brand new rotations, and they were never able to gain that comfort in their offense. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a brilliant chess. We, we kind of knew that it was coming to an extent, but even so, I'm sure Willie Green kind of knew it was coming as well. Even so, brilliant chess move by Monty Williams there that absolutely worked. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, part of me wonders if Willie was trying to bait Monty into playing two bigs to see if they could exploit it by playing two bigs in the last game because he knows that that's something that Monty's unafraid to try to do. And it didn't work out in their favor in this game. The next game will be interesting. We've talked about it in the last game. Role players tend to play better at home. You know, the Pelicans had that in the last game. The Suns, I think, had that in this game, you know, you know, to some extent, you know, Cameron Johnson wasn't as good as he could be. Yeah. Obviously, Mikael Bridges played like a superstar. And then outside of that, I think Cameron Payne, who I think at at times felt like he was worse 
than he was. I mean, if you're look looking at, the, at it yeah. after the game, 12 points, yeah. you know, one assist, three rebounds, four for 10. Basically, he shot 40% on the year. Like, that's kind of he what had, he shot on the year. He had a massive roller coaster performance where people were either thrilled with what he was doing or just completely uh, angry uh, about his performance on the court. And that's understandable. But I think, you know, if you look at the results of 12 points in 12 minutes for campaign, specifically the fact that he was finally able to see a three go in the net, he shot two for three. And, like, in those specific lineups, I remember at the end of the third quarter, uh, they had JaVale and Biombo on the floor. Chris was on the bench, and it was just clear that there was going to be nothing going offensively here. So the only offense the Suns could generate was campaign step back into into a three. And it's like the fact that that shot went in tonight was critical because if that shot didn't go in and campaign yeah. once once again played like he did in games one through four, we would be talking much differently, I think, and the online discourse would be much different about that two-big lineup. You needed to squeeze some sort of offense out of it for it to become viable, and most of that uh, was campaign. And, you know, 12 points in 11 minutes, the 11 minutes is because he fouled out. <laughs> right, and, he, right, yeah. and, and he just could not help himself. He was fouling over and over again. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, he, he had boneheaded plays tonight, Yeah, no doubt. Uh, on the other side of that, though, too, I do think when he drives to the rim, he does not get the same calls that they're getting driving to the rim because he gets bumped from the side on a significant number of his drives, throwing him off balance, and then he jumps towards the rim and just doesn't get those calls. And I don't know that there's a way around that other, th- other than, I don't know, Monty taking another fine to talk specifically about Cameron Payne because you know that definitely helped I think with the refs in this game even the free throw disparity ended up being pretty bad I do think the Suns got more fair calls on their side of the ball uh, than they did in the last game outside of Cameron Payne who struggled and I think that by the way that those fouls I think led to the Aaron Holiday minutes I don't think Aaron Holiday was part of the plan in this game Uh, you know he, he did play obviously but I think it was entirely because of that foul trouble and if you want to know one thing that tipped me off to that there was a extended play where Chris Paul had to tell Aaron Holiday where to be every step of the play he was pointing him around the court like he was controlling him with an Xbox controller <laughs> and Aaron Holiday just did not know where he needed to be and it's probably because he didn't he wasn't part of the game plan when it comes to uh, running that play with Chris Paul off the ball because that's another adjustment <laughs> we can talk about a lot of Chris Paul off the ball in Suns sets in this game where Chris Paul often when plays are being run off the ball he's often either the guy with the ball in his hands or a guy at the wing waiting for the pass when Devin Booker's doing stuff with the ball in this play he was involved in a lot of actions where Devin Booker normally is so in the elbow sets or setting screens under the rim or coming around these sort of pin down screens that Devin Booker comes around to catch the ball to run the offense from the top of the key that was a major adjustment, and you combine that with another very slight adjustment, which was passing the ball in faster. This is a small thing, and then whoever catches it, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson most often, Cameron Painter, Aaron Holiday if they're in, running it up the floor faster. So when they do catch it, if they take the ball out fast, they catch them off guard with their press, and those two guys run it up faster. Chris Paul's running around a pin-down screen, well, now they're starting to play with 18, 19 seconds on the shot clock instead of 15 or 14 when Chris Paul is hounded on his way. And I think the Suns do a really good job. Everyone's a pretty good passer on the catch in that .5 system, and they do a lot better of a job when they have extended time on the shot clock. And I think 
they basically executed that most of the time really well in this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Chris Paul played 21 minutes in the first half, which is an insane amount of minutes for a guy like yeah. that, who obviously yeah. you're trying to limit, but you know, they need it. He's, he's that good. And the mm. offensive drop off is still significant when he comes off the floor. It's just obvious. But all I could think about when we got to the second half, uh, was and they were they were obviously trying to preserve him was all of that research that we've heard about this season about how one of the main lessons that the Suns learned from last year's finals run is the toll that the playing time and specifically the touches were taking on Chris Paul and Devin Booker as lead initiators and how their research showed yes you ha want your lead initiators to be available to run critical sets at the end of a game that's that's how you become such a well-executed, great, clutch, performing team like the Suns are, but you wanted to limit their touches as much as possible. You wanted to limit the burden throughout the first three quarters, and that's absolutely what the what like the third quarter looked like when Chris Paul was on the floor. He was starting sets in the corner, and yeah, there were sets like you were talking about where he would come up off the pin down and catch on the catch on the wing or whatever or the top of the key and become once again involved just as a secondary look. There were also sets where. Uh, it would be like Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder take the ball up and they kind of work a two yeah. or three man game with DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul spends the entire possession in the corner. Yeah. And was it the most efficient offense I've ever seen? No. Was it viable for like three or four possessions at a time while the Suns were already up by 12 points just to give Chris Paul that rest that he obviously needed when you couldn't directly send him to the bench because campaign had foul trouble and like you still needed him out there but you just didn't want to ride him too hard. It worked for that. It was it was an effective strategy for that. And so that that speaks to the development in Mikhail and, and Jay as well as guys who can come in and play make. The other guy who we obviously need to talk about as it relates to this, though, is Landry Shamit. And this is... Yes, thank I'm you, a, yes. I'm going to let you... This is the other big adjustment tonight. I'm going to let you kind of fire away your takes on this because I think you're... Uh, I'm not anti Landry Shaman at all, but I think you have typically been the guy pushing for Shaman a little bit more. So explain to me, uh, uh, well, just to set the stage, Landry Shaman tonight, he played 25 minutes, six points, three rebounds, zero assists. Statistically, I wouldn't say it was the best performance, but I would say there was a certain fluidity to the offense that was obviously present yeah. when Landry Shaman was out there. Um, and I think you are well acquainted with the philosophy behind that. So take it away. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things I think that you got to point out with this specific Landry Shamit game. And one is that the 25 minutes was partially due to Jay Crowder being in foul trouble. And that sort of forced Monty's hand to play Landry Shamit, I think, more minutes than he intended to. In the last podcast, those of you who are willing to listen after losses, you'll probably remember <laughs> that I said the lineup of Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, Mikel Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton should play more in this game. It played pretty extended stretches of time in the first, or sorry, sh should say the second quarter in the fourth quarter, which is, you know, to close out the second quarter. And then before Cameron Payne came in to close out the fourth quarter, that was the lineup that was on the floor for a pretty extended stretch as well. And so, so obviously he was on the floor, I think partially because Jay Crowder would have normally been on the floor during that time but the other side of that and something that I didn't talk about in the last episode that I think surprised me with this game is that he played really great defense mm. on CJ McCollum he did chasing him around screens 
contesting shots, not fouling, and just making it basically as difficult as possible on CJ by the time he caught the ball and then playing sound defense, moving his feet and contesting when CJ did shoot. Now, CJ, of course, still made some shots on Landry Shamit, but I think Landry Shamit for someone who is on the floor without Jay Crowder on the floor, and in those scenarios, Mikael Bridges switches on to Brandon Ingram, that effort that he put in on CJ is partially what led to CJ opening the second half on an 0 for 8 run. And I think that was huge. And that surprised me a lot because when I talked about playing Landry Shamit with that lineup, I was talking about a guy who could bring the ball down when Chris Paul was being hounded and somebody who could initiate the sets at least with the first dribbles and the first pass and then still be able to do some things off the ball, which is something Chris Paul struggles to do because it's just not his game. So having said all that, I think he played even better than I anticipated him playing. You know, I don't know that I was overall convinced that he needs to play any more minutes than he played. This might be the total extent of what he should play, Mm -hmm. but maybe 20 minutes makes more sense for Landry Shamit. And I think the defense, and I actually, I asked our friend Krishna with the B-ball index about Landry, because I remember he was in the top, I think top six for chaser role defense in the NBA this season, about halfway through the season. And then ended up ending the season 18th in the whole NBA as a chaser, which puts him, you know, if every team has one chaser basically on the floor, this is a defensive role as determined by the B-ball index that basically chases guys around screens. And he's in the top 20 of that kind of role. And I think we saw why he rates so well in that specific advanced statistic in this specific game. I thought he was really great. Yeah, I I mean, I continue to think, like, I I didn't think he played great tonight. And in fact, I think he played well tonight. Let me phrase this properly so that people don't think I'm coming after the guy. Um, I think some people will point to obvious lowlights that Landry had tonight. There was one really bad turnover in transition, for instance. It should have been yeah, it was easy, super dumb. <laughs> yeah. Easy should have been an easy alley oop to Mikhail. And I think it's plays like that where you, I mean, a maybe it's nerves, but b you also see that Landry is uh, a mostly a smart player who's trying his best out there, but continues to have limitations. The athletic limitations come out on defense as well. To your point, he's really good as a chaser. I think he's really effective on CJ. He's obviously not effective on Brandon Ingram, and I don't blame him for that. When they, you know, were yeah, he just, shouldn't be on him with yeah. the Pelicans when they were able to switch Mikael Bridges off of Ingram in favor of anyone else. Tory Craig, they've been killing all se- uh, series long. He didn't even touch the floor tonight. But either Jay Crowder or Landry Shamit, um, Chris Paul. Obviously, they love to get Brandon Ingram on Chris Paul too, which the Suns continue to concede uh, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, he he kills he kills all of those guys. Um, Shamit not included. He just doesn't have the length. So those yeah. limitations continue to be there, and that applies to offense too. The athletic limitations are there, but he tries. We've seen a couple of the flashy dunks this series from Landry. Yeah. Uh, it comes when you least expect it. Most importantly, he's just he he's going to keep the ball moving, and the offense without Devin Booker needs a guy who's willing to keep the ball moving like Landry Shamit does, who's willing to get into the mid-range area and, and, and take some shots that maybe other guys are afraid to, um, even if not all of them go in. So, you know, he's not the best player I've ever seen. He's not a guy who I even want to be playing heavy minutes, especially once Booker comes back. But for yeah, the maybe time zero. Being, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, he's satisfactory, though, yeah. for the time being. 
and uh, yeah, he he played a solid game, and it was an important adjustment. I I don't think he'll for, play twenty six minutes next game, but it was an important adjustment for this one. For as good as he did on CJ in this game, that is absolutely not something you can count on <laughs> in a future game. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. look, there's a chance he does just as well, and he makes life difficult for him. And I, but I do think that, like I think that a lot of times like Mikel Bridges just being in their head, getting into their head a little bit early is what helps guys that guard them late. And I think that had something to do with it in this game. But I think there's like, if, if Landry Shamit is playing in the next game and guys are not in foul trouble and CJ starts to kill him, you just pull him. Like that's mm-hmm. just an easy pull. You don't need to play him if you have other guys that can take those minutes. And I think in this game, as it was coming down towards the end of the game, Monty made a change and put Cameron Payne in that role, uh, playing with Chris Paul and look, Cameron Payne ups and downs, as we know, and he ended up fouling out. But I do think that he has the ability to be the secondary ball handler much better than Landry Shamit. So I think those minutes made sense as far as what Monty did. Uh, let's see. Are there any other adjustments that stood out to you that you wanted to touch on? There are not any other major ones, at least on the Sun side. Um do you have any thoughts at this point in the series on the Pelicans rotation? Because I think what's kind of interesting, so now game six is an elimination game for the Pelicans, obviously. Um, looking at the box score tonight, it's almost deceiving because Brandon Ingram was a minus 16. Uh, you know, Herb Jones was a minus 11. Some of their best players, their starters, who are already being given this heavy burden and asked to... Uh, Brandon Ingram, I think, has played over 40 minutes in every game this series. Um, the box score would tell you that those guys struggle tonight, but it's just clear they play their best basketball when they're on the floor. It's just clear. Their bench, they just... I mean, uh, Alvarado is a one-trick pony, but he can't shoot. Like, it's nice that he he's forced two eight-second violations on Chris Paul in the entire series. That's two possessions gained. But, you know, I think you'd rather have C.J. McCollum now play 45, 46 minutes like Mikhail Bridges just did in an elimination game and get rid of the guy who shoots 10% from deep, you know, stuff like that. Larry Nance has been a little bit neutralized, maybe you could say, by the two-big lineup that the Suns are deploying. Uh, Devontae Graham had two good games in the series, but he was terrible tonight. Trey Murphy the third, who we thought was going to be a big player, remember, um, in this series, Mike. We were wrong about this one because Willie Green has actually gone in the opposite direction. Tonight, Trey Murphy played 13 minutes, didn't even attempt a single shot. I thought his spacing was going to be huge for them, and he has played fewer minutes, if anything, as the series has gone on. So where where do the Pelicans flip to now? Is it just Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, Jonas play 45 minutes each next game and yeah, they ride, and Herb. They ride you know and and Herb and they just ride those guys as as much as they can or is there the, anything there's, else there's there's one obvious to? there's one obvious adjustment and that's Alvarado taking the rest of Graham's minutes uh because Alvarado 20 minutes in this game and look I think that Alvarado at times has hit shots in this series that makes it seem like he's a good three-point shooter but I mean over time, we've learned that he's not a great three-point shooter, so it's hard to really believe that that's sustainable. And the Suns, the effort, the Suns clearly, mm-hmm. by the way, played him like he was a terrible three-point shooter because every single one of his attempts was wide open. I'm talking nearest defender, 15 feet away. There, he's yeah. not a concern of theirs. But Devonte Graham was useless in the last two games. I think, like, he has to hit shots to be valuable. He's not providing 
any outsized playmaking. His defense is bad. He's small. He's not getting rebounds. And the Suns do a good job of defending him when he's dribbling the ball. Can't finish at the rim. Then you have Alvarado, who at the very least, you know, puts a ton of pressure on Chris Paul, uh, you know, bringing the ball up the floor and gets on his nerves a little bit. And sometimes that is not good because Chris Paul tends to play well when he's angry. But I do think that I just don't really see a reason to play Devontae Graham going forward. I, I think what they're worried about is that is exactly what happened in this game where the Suns are now finally hitting shots. And for the Pelicans, if they continue to win the rebounding battle, which they clearly are capable of doing and probably will do in the next game as well, if they lose the turnover battle, if they lose the assist battle and then massively lose the three-point shooting battle, then it's kind of over for them. So I think that's why they keep trying Devontae Graham, but I would be surprised if we see, at the very least, if Devontae Graham plays in the first half, he might not play in the second half of the next game, which may have even happened in this game. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's an obvious one for me. I, I think that's probably the main one. Um, I, I Turning back towards the Suns now here, as we, we're beginning to wrap up on this one probably, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to point out, it was so it was such a relief to finally see some shots fall. The Sun shot thirty seven percent from deep tonight. To us, I think that felt like ninety percent. Yeah. Because of how terrible they had been in the series. But yeah. Thirty seven percent is barely better than I think their season average was thirty six percent as a team, thirty six and a half percent. Like basically the Suns had a fifteen point win tonight. Granted it was at home and there were other factors that always help you at home. But they had a fifteen point win tonight in a game where they just shot like an average team from deep. <laughs> yeah. And if we ever get one of those, I know we've been saying this for a while, but if we, if the floodgates really open yeah, and we get one of those more signature kind of yeah. Suns offensive machine type performances of, oh, they're shooting 45 close to damn near 50% from deep tonight as you a know, team. I mean, if Cameron Johnson could have more than two threes in a game and Landry Shamit could just hit one <laughs> or I only, two. <laughs> I only say that, I only say that to point out that some people will look at the box score tonight. They'll say, well, Chris Paul had 22 points. DeAndre Ayton had 19. Mikhail Bridges had a, had his playoff career high. Yeah, they played a good game, but this is their ceiling, right? This is their offensive ceiling without Devin Booker. And I would they definitely played much better. They played probably an above-average performance maybe or at least an average performance for what this current crop is capable of, of playing without Devin Booker. But it's absolutely not their offensive ceiling. There's another level that they could take this to um, if just the right guys were hitting shots. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And it'd be nice to see specifically Cameron Johnson get it going from the outside because we just have yet to see that happen. And that has to happen at some point. You know, to finish the series off, obviously that can be a catalyst in that. But if they get out of this first round, they just need Cameron Johnson at some point to really show up. And we have yet to see that. Um, Now, obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about Mikael Bridges, I just want to say a couple other guys before we end this one. Chris Paul, 22-11-6, 8-for-18, started the game actually shooting shots, which was nice to see. And then DeAndre Ayton, who we talked about his defense, also had another great game offensively, 19 points, 9 rebounds, and I think three important assists, I think all three came either the, the awesome pass that he had to Jay Crowder or the other two, I believe, were on the short roll, so he was c- catching the ball in the middle of the floor and making decisions with it. 
And that's a great, great thing to see from him where it's not just scoring. He's finding other guys. So two other great games. I just wanted to give a shout out before we end this podcast. But do you got anything else before we go here? Um, Watch out, Suns fans, because I just learned that the game on Thursday is an early game. So don't let that trip you up. It is uh, 7.30 Eastern time, which is like perfect for me. That's so great for me. (laughs) Uh, For you guys, I hope you're off work by that hour. I, I hope it's not too difficult. Do you have any We're doing on that, that one on playback, right? And, and, yeah. For I patrons? Gonna, yeah, I was going right. to get there. I was going to get there. I forgot. I was going to get there. The other thing is that uh, join us for patrons uh, for that one on playback. So, obviously, potential elimination game. Whatever may happen, we'll be there hanging out together. But we certainly hope that the Suns advance. And, uh, yeah, you can join us live for that one on yep. playback. Should be fun. Yep. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back after the next game. Hopefully... We'll be talking about the Suns in the second round of the playoffs. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.